there's a saying in chronics, the second worst thing that can possibly happen to you is to be dead and frozen, right? Because that means you had to be dead first. On the other hand, the worst thing would be to be dead and not frozen. So yeah, if I could be have my life extended and not have to be uh, cryogenically suspended, that would be great. But it, it just doesn't exist. And what does exist is the vehicle to possibly get me to the future. Welcome to Fringe FM, the podcast that explores the edges of human understanding and looks at the technologies, trends, and societal norms shaping our collective future. Here, the world's top minds share their insights and predictions on the convergence, direction, and ethics of exponential technologies transforming life as we know it. You can learn more and stay up to date at fringe.fm. As a species, we've always sought to overcome death, whether religion in heaven or the fountain of youth. Humans like to live and want to live as long as possible. Today, we're diving into an incredibly interesting and controversial subject, cryonics. Cryonics first came on my scene. We've all heard the stories of Walt Disney being frozen on ice, living forever. It all seemed a little bit crazy. I was listening to Wait But Why, the Tim Urban blog where he dives into very interesting topics and tries to explore them and break them down for average individuals. He was exploring cryonics, and the ultimate conclusion he came to is that cryonics is the process of pausing people in critical condition who can't accept the concept of death in the hopes that people from the future will be able to save them, and the community of hardcore cryonics people might also be a Scientology-like cult. Don't take this episode as an endorsement of cryonics. This is merely an endorsement of the interest I have, and others should have, in the future potentials and possibilities, and the ability to create technology that seems seemingly impossible. So without further ado, I give you Dennis Kowalski. You probably know I'm big on biohacking and trying to make myself the best I can be. That's why I'm excited about what the guys at Neurohacker Collective and Daniel Schmachtenberger, who was previously on the podcast, are doing. They're some of the smartest biohackers on the planet, and their Qualia line of brain-enhancing nootropics make it obvious why. You guys can get 15% off any order, or with a subscription, 50% off and 15% off every future order by going to disruptors.fm slash qualia, that's Q-U-A-L-I-A, and using coupon code disruptors at disruptors we're big on health and biotech for a reason it amplifies everything disruptors.fm slash qualia use coupon code disruptors and now let's get on with the program we choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things not because they are easy but because they are hard well cryogenics is actually uh the science of freezing things at very low temperatures cryonics specifically is freezing people in the hopes that some future technology may be able to actually bring those people back. So if you think about it, we kind of do that already at a lesser degree with uh, embryos, right? We can freeze embryos indefinitely and implant them. And people are walking around today alive and well who've been frozen at liquid nitrogen temperatures. Sperm, eggs, skin cells, you know, a lot of small tissues have been easily frozen down to liquid nitrogen temperatures and viability hasn't suffered one bit. The the million dollar question is, can you scale that up to more complex tissues and all the way up to uh, freezing a whole person? And the answer is we can't revive people yet today. When I ask that question, could you do it with a lab animal or could you do it you know, with a mouse or something like that so we could prove in principle that this is possible? Well, that kind of is the paradox because we're not in the future yet. If we were in the future, we could revive people. And that's what the whole purpose of chronics is, is to is kind of medical time travel, right? An, an ambulance to a future 
hospital that may or may not ex uh, exist in the future. And the only way you find out, if anything in science, the only way you find out what's possible is by pursuing it and running the experiment. And I'm going to play stupid for some of this interview so that we're able to dive into as much of the questions as most people have. But Walt Disney, most famous, most famous person that's frozen on ice, right? That's incorrect. Uh, he, um, there's, there is rumors, and I can't substantiate them, that he was concerned and in looking into uh, being frozen at, in the 1960s or whenever he passed away. But it was also the same time that Time did a feature or, or starting to do a feature article about cryonics. And I think the two stories kind of got mixed together. And I don't know if his family did actually ask about freezing or someone from his office did. I know that there was some rumors, uh, but I can't su substantiate that. And from what I heard, he was just buried in a regular cemetery plot in California. Understood. So cryonics first came on my scene from uh, Tim Urban with Wait But Why. He does deep dives into a lot of interesting things where you're you basically wait. You hear it like, wait a sec. Oh, why? And he dives into into the into the science. Cryonics was fascinating for me because it is so far out that it seems impossible. But those are the type of things that we should be pursuing today. How did you get involved with cryonics? Well, uh, you know, I, I heard about it when I was younger. Uh, I'm 50 years old, actually, today. And um, I heard about it when I was a young teenager. I, I remember watching a show called Phil Donahue. I don't know if you remember or are familiar with that. And it was a talk show. And they spoke about they had some cryonicists on there talking about the subject, and I thought, well, this is really interesting. Now, previously, I had seen it on, you know, science fiction shows and, you know, uh, people going through space travel or whatever using cry uh, a form of cryogenic suspension to get from point A to point B. But it was kind of a shocker to me that there was people actually doing it, and that was in the mid-1970s. Well, um, I thought to myself, that's really interesting, but again, how are they going to ever be able to bring anyone back? Is it entirely just relying on the future, pie in the sky? So then uh, later in the 1980s, I, you know, I've, I've always loved science. So I read a lot of science books, including science fiction. And uh, I was reading a, um, a book called Engines of Creation by Eric Drexler. Now that book talked about reverse engineering life itself. And he, he basically he was, you know, laying out the how to hack into your, you know, DNA and actually the molecular processes at almost the atomic level. You know, what's the mechanics going on? If we could really see what life is doing, we could mimic everything that life does and what, you know, the, the magic that would bring to the manufacturing process and everything else that we do in life would be unbelievable. And this is, and it's not as if we'd have to invent something new, you know, that doesn't exist like anti-gravity or time travel. This is features that actually exist in nature that just haven't been fully reverse engineered yet. So, so the ability to, you know, duplicate and replicate molecular patterns over and over to build bigger and more intricate structures is basically what life does. So this engines of creation basically outlined how to reverse cryonics. It's just not easy to do, very hard to do. We're not there yet. We'll probably be there in the future. But the important thing to note is if nature can do it, there's no scientific or physical reason we can't do it. So, you know, it's just, just as we're having this debate, you know, about whether we'll ever have heavier than air flight, you know, maybe back in da Vinci's time. And, you know, one person's arguing, yes, we will. And one person's arguing, no, we won't. But you can always point out that these heavier than air birds are flying by as you're having the conversation. So again, nature has tackled and with through evolution, tackled the problem. And it's just a matter of us reverse engineering what nature does. And longevity is fascinating. It's it's related to what you're interested in, in cryonics, in terms of living longer. It's slightly different mechanisms. I'm not sure what the what the relationship is like between the, the cryonics, the cryonics community. Hey, Matt here, quick aside. While we've had some speculative 
longevity experts on, we'll be focused much more on getting some scientists and researchers focused on health, nutrition, and the ability of human enhancement and long-term living on the program soon. We've got some of the best, a couple of the top speakers from TED to be coming on the program, and I'm very excited to bring you those. And if you guys have forgotten, my goal is to live to be 153 and add 10 to 15 years on the human lifespan and the average human lifespan over the course of the next 10 to 15 years. I'm going big, I'm going bold, and that's 10x. But the reason behind that is, if you don't try, of course you'll never make it. So we're going to shoot from the moon and reach the stars. Now let's jump back. There's a whole kind of a, a field of philosophy called transhumanism. People who you know are incredibly optimistic about the future, and they believe that future technologies will be able to do things that are magical by today's standards. Now, now think about that. Now, you know, I've got this cell phone in my hand here that you know 20 years ago would not have been possible. It would have been like a crystal ball, right? I can contact people all over the globe in real time, and I can access all the knowledge of mankind at my fingertips. But we have Google. We have uh, our uh, smartphones, and this technology exists. Uh, a hundred years ago, if I said I could raise the dead by pounding on their chest and maybe shocking them with electricity, they might have ran me out of town by saying that I was, uh, you know, Frankenstein or something, you know, but that's exactly what we do uh, all the time through CPR and cardiac defibrillation. So you have to almost like really step outside contemporary thinking and look at what is possible, you know, not not in such a way that I'm not talking about um, metaphysical stuff. I'm talking about grounded in basic science, just what's not possible yet, but will most likely be possible in the future. And that's all really what we're doing at Chronics. It's a bet on the future. Now, I, I didn't fully answer your previous question. I, I'm going to get back to that a little bit. How did I get myself into Chronics? Once I read that book uh, about reverse engineering life, I realized, boy, there is actually a blueprint for this. This isn't just someone's, you know, purely a dream. There's a blueprint and it's just a matter of us pursuing it. The beauty of Chronics is you have all the time in the world to wait for science to catch up. So sometime in my 30s, I started thinking about this and I signed up with the Cryonics Institute. I uh, filled out a life insurance policy and uh, I thought, well, this is only for the rich, right? This is only way out of my economic uh, means. But it turns out that a simple life insurance policy pays for the interment or basically that money gets put into like an endowment. And that's what runs the perpetual overhead that pays for you to stay in liquid nitrogen. So like taxes, utilities, more liquid nitrogen, it gets invested that money just like a regular endowment would. And that's what pays for the perpetual nature. Uh, of, then after some time of, of being a member, I got a little bit more involved. The organization that I'm with, Chronics Institute, is a nonprofit. It is also democratically run by its members. So as you sign up as a member, you get a vote. And I uh, was voted in as on the board of directors, and then eventually I was voted in as the president of the Cranix Institute. And that's kind of how I got involved, step by step. It's uh, it's fascinating for me. There was a, a football player a while back. Unfortunately, I'm a Buffalo Bills fan, which means I've suffered through many, many horrible years. But the I don't remember what his name was. He was a tight end. He got hit. He broke his spine. And they froze him on the way to the emergency room. He was already paralyzed. He was never going to walk for the rest of his life. And the doctors were able to save him because of the fact that he was frozen. And he was back to walking, running, and to working out within a year. And it was just incredible. So that that's part of the reason why it was very interesting for me. Just the ability of the human body to recover and recuperate. So to clarify, so to clarify I, I'm, they probably didn't freeze him. They probably used what's called therapeutic hypothermia. They cool him down very cold. And when, when they do that, that slows down the metabolic need of the cells and gives them time to heal. Now, in, in essence, that is what we're doing, though, on a much grander scale, right? We're giving uh, your body time to catch up with medical science itself. So 
I just wanted to clarify, I don't think they actually froze him. But, uh, you know, you're, you're right. It's the same actual process. Cooling slows down chemical reactions and metabolic activity, and that buys you time. And you're starting to see that now much more in conventional medicine. People with heart attacks and strokes, they're going to cool, they're cooling their blood. So it can buy them time. Again, these things were all impossible just a decade or two ago. And it's even obvious, like just with what athletes are doing with taking ice baths for recovery, it, it's much of the same mechanism, slightly different in terms of your more pressing pause versus rewind. But it's, uh, it's very interesting for me. Talk through how cryonics exactly works and what some of the misconceptions are. Warning, if you're a bit squeamish, we're about to get a little bit more into the heebie-jeebie grossness factor. It's very in interesting, it's incredibly technical, and it's very valuable to understand the process. But if you can't handle it, then it may be something you want to fast forward through the next five or so minutes. Now, let's go back to the creepiness and the crazy possibilities. Lots of misconceptions, but let's talk about the process. So under under good circumstances, right, you would pass away in a situation where there's people around you, okay? Because there's several ways you can go, right? You can die. Planned, unplanned, and unwitnessed. And unwitnessed is being the worst case for us. You know, you're in the woods and you're hiking. We do have some remedies for that, like uh, uh, GPS uh, pulse detecting watches and, you know, stuff like that, that kind of send out a signal, I need help, I'm here, uh, like a life alert. Uh, but under, under excellent circumstances, let's say you had uh, told all your family and friends, they knew that we, this, this was your wishes. You got everything in play ahead of time. You signed up with the Chronics Institute. You uh, talked to your funeral director, your doctors, and everyone, and you had all the equipment at your bedside, and you had a terminal illness uh, that was not causing problems with your brain, maybe uh, a cancer in the, in the uh, pancreas or something like that. And in that case, as soon as you're declared legally dead, as soon as your heart stops or you go into cardiac arrest, as we call it uh, in the paramedic community, uh, then we continue CPR, not to bring you back, but to, con to continue to keep the tissues uh, nourished with oxygen and nutrients. And then we put you into an ice bath and the, we continue with the CPR while you're in the ice bath. What's going on there is you're feeding the brain oxygen and nutrients, but you're also cooling the body down even faster because you're exchanging the, the warm core blood with the colder or uh, peripheral blood on, at the skin. And so you're cooling the core down as well. And we really, that's the important thing. We want to cool down your core of your body and your brain. And once we do that, after a while, that slows down your met, uh, metabolic need to the point we don't even need to do a CPR anymore. Uh, we also inject in heparin and uh, blood thinners so that your blood doesn't gel up and coagulate. And But we don't freeze you completely at that point. Then we would transport you if you're within a 10-hour radius of the Cranix Institute as, as fast as possible to the our uh, facility where we would uh, surgically open up your carotid arteries and veins and we would perfuse in a type of biological antifreeze. It's a formula that was developed by a cryobiologist who was, you know, uh, his specialty was preserving tissues at extremely low temperatures. So mostly cryobiologists now work with embryos and stem cells and pathogens and stuff like that. So anyways, the cooling process in the beginning is just protecting you and buying you enough time to get to the facility. Then once you're at the facility, then we we put this biological antifreeze in you. And this, this antifreeze, what it does is it keeps the ice crystallization from forming 
in the interstitial spaces, the spaces between yourselves, that ice crystallization can do damage. Basically, basically water expands when it freezes. Right. You've seen it in your freezer, right? So it's the same thing, but it's not inside the cells. It's actually between the cells and then it would crush the cells. So these cryobiological agents, basically they were reverse engineered, by the way, from uh, natural organisms that that have these proteins and these substances in their bodies. There's our North American Arctic frogs, freeze solid. There's other insects that freeze solid. And anyone who's been outside in a super cold weather says, well, how do those you know insects and animals make it? A lot of them hibernate in a natural cryogenic or kind of cryonic suspension of their own. So we've kind of reverse engineered, again, what Mother Nature has already done and came up with a formula that is not perfect, but it definitely uh, protects the cells much better than had that formula not been perfused into your body. So we, we kind of hook you up to uh, the equivalence of a cardiac uh, heart-lung bypass, and we tap in and we push out the blood, we push the cryoprotectin in. This cryoprotectin is much colder than liquid ice or than, than solid ice, so, but it's still in liquid form, and it's able to perfuse your tissues. Then we bring you down into a, a cooling chamber uh, as fast as possible to about negative 100 degrees Celsius. And then after that, we gradually bring you down to liquid nitrogen temperatures, which is in Fahrenheit, uh, negative 451 degrees. So it's pretty cold. At that point, you can stay in a pretty much indefinite state of pause and nothing changes. There's no chemical reactivity going on. There's no decay. There's no breakdown. I mean, and we kind of know this intuitively. You know, you you take your potato salad out on a hot summer day on a picnic, it's going to spoil. If you put it in a fridge, it's going to last longer. If you put things in the freezer, it'll last that much longer in, in dry ice. It's an exponential in reverse. So one second becomes a minute, becomes an hour, becomes 10,000 years real quick. And so you've got all the time in the world to figure out, are we going to have the technology to reverse engineer life itself at the mechanical level? And, and we're starting to see bits and pieces of that with uh, stem cell research, for instance, artificial intelligence, right? Computers are getting so advanced that they're able to pick apart the human genome. We're starting to see like CRISPR-Cas9, uh, if you're familiar with that, a method of genetically engineering and changing the genes and swapping in and out for organisms. So once this this is all coming together and leading to a world that we should be able to slow down even reverse aging and in in fact uh, revive chronics patients. So chronics is kind of like the ultimate life insurance policy if we don't figure out how to reverse aging. Assuming that we never lose power in the world. It's, um, It's incredibly fascinating, incredibly creepy, a little bit cultish sounding, but at the same time, incredibly promising. And that's why I wanted to get you on because it is this strange mixture of sci-fi, future, current potential, and just uh, just a, enough out there that it makes your, kind of your feet curl a little bit. Uh, how did how did people first get into this? What's the story of how cryonics first came about? How did someone discover or dive into some of these these procedures to make something like this possible? Well, Robert Edinger, a professor of physics in Michigan, was a science fiction buff like myself. But uh, back in the 1950s, he read a lot of science fiction. And as a physics professor, he started examining the idea. He thought, boy, this is really interesting. There was a story about... Um, it was about a, a gentleman who goes up into space and freezes and then some advanced alien race unfreezes him. And he thought to himself, from a physics standpoint, is this actually possible? So he ran all the figures being a scientist and he said, boy, this actually could work. Does it mean that you can, you know, he didn't have the science for bringing people back. If he, if he had that, he'd already be famous for curing all disease and aging. But he just knew that he could stabilize patients or people to a point where maybe in the future, 
that other tech, the other side of the coin would be solved. I don't know about you, but I find it interesting that science fiction and suspending reality seem to have such positive impacts on creativity, innovation, and the future of technology. If we look into how many times things were impossible, and then people just decided to look into how exactly this works, what are the numbers, and what would be necessary, it's the first principles thinking of Elon Musk and many of the other great innovators and entrepreneurs that change the world. So I'd invite you to think outside the box from time to time. Now let's jump back. Now just, you, you did talk about like the creepy factor or the ick factor. You know, I've been in uh, uh, orthopedic surgeries. I mean, there's a lot of uh, primitive, uh, uh, you know, looking uh, like and sounding. They're, du- they're duct taping it just to put you back together somehow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and there's other, I mean, think about organ transplantation. I mean, from a, from a primitive standpoint, I mean, right now we accept it. It's, it's normal. But maybe 50 years ago, 60 years ago, if I said I was going to uh, take a heart or a liver out of a freshly dead corpse and stitch and sew it into someone, I mean, how creepy does that sound? Yet we all benefit from the, the wonderful life-saving techniques that have been born out of that science. So, I think it's all good, you know, it's, it, and it's what we're doing. We're fighting the good fight. If Chronix doesn't work at all, if it never works and comes to fruit, it, we're still advancing science by finding out what is or is not possible. My hope is that it will work, and then that'll be a great thing because we'll we'll have saved countless lives, and uh, and that's a good thing. That's the fighting the good fight. That's what we. That's what I do as a paramedic in my day job. You know, when people go into cardiac arrest, we don't always win. We don't always bring them back, but we try to fight the good fight at least. And I love life. I love my family. And so that's what the whole thing is. I love science and it's all kind of wrapped into one. It, it, it's fascinating. So in preparation for this, I did a little bit of research into in vitro fertilization. And it looks like with embryos, they have a 60 to 70% success rate of bringing frozen embryos back to implant. Essentially, you go through the IVF process, then you have all of these eggs, you might have leftover embryos. Let's save some for later just in case, right? Well, it's a 60 to 70%. So that's kind of already verifies that something like this is possible. You can freeze a human being and then bring back a human being. It may not be quite as advanced as the human beings in cryonics, but it's kind of, it, I like the pause analogy of if you're in a, if you're in a, a country in the 1900s, a hospital might be, not be able to help you. Today, it's, today it's very different. That's correct. You know, and in 60, 70%, that number might be 100% in another 10 years, depending on the technology that comes on board with the implantation of those embryos. So I have a question now for you. With cryonics and going forward, there are some inherent challenges. So the power one I brought up earlier, the also the other one that I think of, which is even more more terrifying would be the the concept of oftentimes today, if you're living in a, a country that's just doing terribly, you try to get out of the country, you get smuggled out. And then it turns out that the, the traffickers sell you into the sex trade or something terrible. How do, how do sure. people deal with that process of coming back alive and not having to reset? Well, well, thanks for bringing up the power thing. That is one of the misconceptions. We don't use electricity. There's no refrigeration systems. So basically, it's even simpler than that. It's a giant thermos bottle that's filled up with liquid nitrogen. If we ran out of liquid nitrogen, that thermos bottle is so insulated so well, it would take five to six months before we ran out of liquid nitrogen. But we don't wait that long. We, we you know, top it off every week and we measure it every single day, uh, not mechanically, but physically. So there's no electricity to fail. And even so, we do have backup generators and so forth. But to, to the bigger question, though, what could go wrong? You know, or a tornado could hit the place. We could have a nuclear war. Uh, you know, when it comes, you could what if everything, it basically comes down to the fact that we're optimistic. And, you know, what if things go right? What if everything does work out? You know, it, so the way I look at it is, is we, we have no control over the bad things that can happen. And in that case, you'd be no worse off than someone who's buried 
or cremated. Exactly. But if, on the other hand, this works, you could be sitting, you know, into the future with a whole new life and and all the the fantastic awe that that you know would w- would bring. A quick related tangent: as an angel investor, one of the investors that I've looked up to and learned quite a bit from is Jason Calacanis, host of This Week in Startups. He has a saying when it comes to investing, and it's that you don't have to think about what could go wrong. It's just the what could go right. If everything lines up, the stars align. How big could this go? What happens if this goes right? That's what angel investors, investors, and founders need to think about because the law of exponential returns applies to both investing and creating the future, especially technology, because what happens if it all goes right? Now, but yeah, there's things that could go wrong. The the, the whole ideal of this, the dystopian world or whatever, you know, where they're going to wake you up just to torture you or whatever, that seems pretty unlikely. I mean, anything's possible, but it seems very unlikely to me because why would you go through all that effort to bring someone back if you want slave labor or something like that? I mean, if you have that technology to bring someone back, most likely you'd have robot technology. You'd have other things that you wouldn't need slaves or you wouldn't need, uh, it would be a benevolent world. You know, So it's almost inherent that the world to be that advanced would have to be somewhat benevolent. But I don't really get too much into the future because nobody knows the future, even though this is premised on the the idea that the future is going to be good. So Mm -hmm. It's interesting. I'm an angel investor and work with a lot of early stage companies. And one of the biggest factors you see for startups failing is timing. It's interesting that you can put timing on the back burner. It doesn't really matter when, as long as it happens at some point. Well, you know, and interestingly enough, too, the timing is, you know, back in the 60s and 70s and 80s, not a whole lot was happening. You know, these people were just frozen at at liquid nitrogen temperatures. Now you're seeing all this technology about stem cells, advanced AI, molecular nanotechnology, things that just are out of this world advanced. And and that's just the the tip of the iceberg of what's coming. So I think there may come a time when uh, people with a lot of money might start looking into cryonics and say, what have I got to lose? I mean, the, the, the cost is, is pretty minimal. I mean, I could spend a lot more money on frivolous things. And if it ever becomes, if actual life extension starts to become more viable, there's always going to be some people that are just too old and they're just going to miss out on the technology, right? The, the, the magic pill or whatever drugs come on, on market to prolong your life or extend your life. The, the, the beautiful thing about chronics is it is that backup, the ultimate backup policy, right? So if people, you know, if wealthier people, you know, start looking into this, maybe, you know, it'll be the tip of a, a good thing to invest into. Right now, you know, we're, we're pretty much, we stay nonprofit, but I think there could be a lot of profit in, in actually extending human life and having the, the ultimate backup policy. But who knows? Only time will tell on that entrepreneurs out there. If you think anti-aging and beauty products are a goldmine, think again. If we can extend the human life, there's nothing more profitable, more fulfilling, or more important as a social mission. What happens as we move towards uh, an infinite or a significantly extended lifespan in terms of humanity, population, and just the overall, uh, yeah, the overall... Well, the universe is a big place. You know, some people talk about overpopulation, but we may need a lot more people to colonize the solar system or even further out. And the way I look at it is, if, again, we had this really advanced technology to bring someone back. We're going to have some pretty advanced uh, space travel technology and, and, and communications and everything else is going to be, you know, infinite levels ahead of where we are now. So I think that uh, uh, the ability for the world to handle revived patients should be uh, a spit in the bucket. You know, people also, one of the other uh, things about overpopulation, people dying right now, but having multiple children, that's an exponential again. So if I die at the age of 30, but I've I've had 10 children and my 10 children have 10 children, you know, we're already up to 100 and that's with death. 
at an early age. So having babies, mathematically speaking, is exponential. People not dying, one begets one, is is kind of a linear mathematically. So I don't, I don't see overpopulation as an issue. In fact, I, th- I see the largest, most important resource we have is the intellectual property that's in our brains. You know, I mean, your family, your friends, I mean, what means the most to you? And that's what we're saving. We're saving the the minds and of our loved ones and the lives of our loved ones. You know, there's ideas too that they'll be able to maybe extrapolate the information out of uh, people's brains as well, maybe upload those. But, you know, that even, that gets even far-fetched for me. But there's certainly nothing in the laws of physics that says that's not possible. That was my next question. So, in terms of how people could be brought back to life, there were a couple of possibilities. Same body, new body, uploaded, or robot. I don't know if you had a, a thought in terms of which would be most likely. Well, I'm kind of attached to my body, pun intended. <laughs> But uh, I, 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 the way I look at it, you know, I don't know. I, you know, nobody will know the future. I mean, it could be something way out of left field that I can't, that I never even thought of. But uh, certainly, all those things seem like uh, viable possibilities. Again, without knowing the future, being purely speculative on my, because of the fact that I'm kind of a sci-fi nerd. Sometimes uh, I look at things like, uh, you know, would we be able to reverse engineer a virus that cross-checks your DNA at what you should be at a healthy age of 20, it looks at the DNA and the cells where you're at now and starts repairing and multiplying within your body, kind of like a, a virus that doesn't make you sick, but actually makes you healthy and starts resetting the clock. What if we're able to r- ramp up your uh, stem cells to a level where you, you're just naturally healing yourself from within? What if there's a, me- a mechanical version of that, uh, some type of robotics that are micro miniature nano robotics that are able to divide and fix you from within? These are all ways just to fix your existing body, for instance. Other ways, maybe maybe that's not doable. Maybe some sort of a scan that actually scans where every cell in your brain is and extrapolates the information out, just like a giant computer, and downloads you into a Android or some other system so that you can live indefinitely in the software. I don't know. I mean, that starts getting, it starts getting funny and philosophically weird because I say, well, then, you know, if, if they could do that now, let's say I, you know, jumped into the transporter, uh, Star Trek style, and then I was beamed over here. But let's say that things screwed up and made two copies. Well, which one is really me? You know, it starts to get philosophically weird. I would still claim I'm me and the other me would claim that's me. But yet, you know, as strange as these philosophical things seem, we, uh, these are kind of happening already to a degree in nature. So, you know, as we eat food and bring in new molecules and your body assembles them into your brain. And as life goes on, you, you know, uh, shut off skin and, you know, use the bathroom and all these other molecules leave. There's actually evidence that the material that is you is coming in and going out and it's not the same. There's, you're not the same person literally physically that you were in the past. So there's already kind of a, an idea that maybe if you're not the physical stuff, then what are you? You're the information, the software. So if that's the case, uh, then maybe you could be uploaded into a computer and it would be you just the same. But me personally, I, I, you know, I'd want my body back and that's just my own personal uh, belief system, but it gets complex. You know, it gets pretty deep. Well, we didn't jump into consciousness on this episode. I'm looking into having some experts along the lines of a Sam Harris on the podcast so we can really dive into what it means to be human, what it means to be alive and sentient, and that we can better understand ourselves and our environment and the universe we're living and interacting with. If you've got any great suggestions, Matt at Fringe.fm or on Twitter at It's Matt Ward. Do you think we'll get to a VR world before we get to a, a revive world? Like revive people from cryogenics versus a, a Ready Player One type. 
I really don't know. <laughs> you know, honestly, that's a good question. I don't know. It seems like both technologies seem to be advancing in parallel. Uh, the, you know, brain scanning to understand the brain so that you could physically repair it would also is parallel to brain scanning to copy and simulate it in another computer system. So you're going to need some of the same tools to do either. So which will come first? It's kind of a chicken and the egg type of question. It's a tough question. It's a good question, but I, I don't know. I, I guess would be that they're both going to come along the same time. So in terms of cryonics, how many people today are, are frozen or, or vitrified? There is over 2,000 people signed up with us. Probably if you want to add up the whole world, pro- you know, because there's several organizations out there, probably about four or 5,000. Um, there's organizations in Russia, Australia, um, and so forth. Cryonics says to it, we have 170 people, about 120 pets, animals, hundreds of uh, really? tissues. Yeah. Wow. So almost as many pets as people. Does that mean essentially almost every person is bringing their pet along for the ride? No. Some people just uh, have saved their pets in the hopes that uh, uh, cloning techniques will uh, um, pick up and they'll be able to maybe, you know, clone their pets or, or and maybe some people actually want to try to bring back their pet in their lifetime since the pets have a much shorter lifespan than their owners. Um, you know, and funny about that is when we started this, that was not a possible thing to do. But uh, today, there's a organization, there's a company called Perpetuate, I think, and there's another company that in Korea that will actually clone your dog for you. It's a lot of money; it's a couple hundred thousand dollars or something, and they can clone your your pet. So who knows what will be possible in the future? You know, maybe these people plan on living. You know, they're younger people and they lost their pet, and their pet's their loved one, and um, they're hoping that in their lifetime they might be able to revive their pets. So it's not it's not as if every single person in Cryonics has a pet. It's there's probably more people, more pets that their owners are just alive right now. And maybe they're planning on getting uh, frozen themselves later, but they're not actually in suspension yet. That makes sense. It was a stupid question on my, on my part. So I'm talking with Aubrey de Grey in a couple of days. He's one of the leading researchers on aging. He believes that there's humans alive today that will live to be a thousand. What um are there any type of potential problems between cryonics and longevity? Technically, it is kind of like a, a competitive business, although it's both geared towards the same outcome. Well, I, I, you know, I'd love to see longevity work. I'd like to be put out of business by uh, by the longevity crowd. Then there's a saying in cryonics: the second worst thing that can possibly happen to you is to be dead and frozen, right? Because that means you had to be dead first. On the other hand, the worst thing would be to be dead and not frozen. So, yeah, if I could be have my life extended and not have to be uh, cryogenically suspended, that would be great. But it, it just doesn't exist. And what does exist is the vehicle to possibly get me to the future. So it's a backup plan more than anything. And, of course, there's people who actually didn't they, – they thought that might happen too. They thought longevity might come along and uh, science and, and save them. And, and they're now frozen with us because time caught up with them and time won over as, versus uh, the science. But the, but the beauty of cranics is you, have all, you can keep waiting over you know, longer and longer. So I, it's almost as if I'm a firefighter. So you know, do, do I support fire safety right, and, and education so that we don't have fires, which ultimately puts me out of a job? Yes, I do, because that's progress. And, and if we don't need firefighters, that would be a good thing. But until we do, until we have a totally fire safe world, we're going to need firefighters. So you got into this more from a sci-fi background and less from a technical background. I'd like to learn a little more about what some of the other members are like, what your average distribution is, like job title, uh, ages, 
geographies, et cetera, just to learn a little bit more about who who's currently undergoing or you probably can't tell me undergoing, but interested in cryonics. Sure. Uh, I would say our base, if, if that's what you're looking for, is there's probably more males than females predominantly. Uh, definitely the, the one thing that links us all together is an interest in science fiction and optimism, optimistic uh, viewpoint towards the future futurism that links us all but uh, i would say mo most of us tend to have some to uh, more college education there's quite a few people that are i, I noticed that are uh, phds or they have um, you know mensa certificates uh, very smart people doctors lawyers and so forth uh, but we do have people of all different ethnic ethnicities uh you know financial backgrounds and religions and i mean we have people that are atheists and people that are fundamentalist christian um, and, really? and it shouldn't be terribly surprising because you can get a heart transplant and be both an atheist or a different uh, religious persuasion, Jewish. You know, we, um, one of the guys on our board of directors uh, is Orthodox Jewish. So, uh, you know, his his uh, family thinks it goes against God, but he thinks it's God's God's will. So it's just it, it depends on how you interpret it. You know, my, my point has always been if uh, you know it, it's no different than than. Uh, getting a heart transplant it's either going to work or not work no matter what your religious persuasion is yeah I, I have a hard time figuring out how religious people could justify anything medical but that's a that's a whole nother story i want to jump into what other big problems do you see in the world and what would you like to see people tackle i'd love to see actual functioning molecular nanotechnology so again the reverse if we could reverse engineer life at that level at that point if we could build little molecular robotic machines that could mimic life, make copies of themselves with the surrounding parts and tools, the atoms that are around them, we could do almost anything, right? We could feed the world. We could cure aging and almost all disease. We could have open up the, the, the at least the solar system to uh, space colonization. I mean, we could, do, we could do, fa we'd live fantastically wealthy, every person and with plenty of space and almost zero pollution and it all sounds really pie in the sky but that's actually technology that exists within nature if exploited or reverse engineered properly i'd love to see that because that would really solve all the other problems down the line including cryonics yeah the biggest problem with nano is it's just so hard to manufacture at those scales that no one's been able to do it to date interesting it is but 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 mother nature does it all the time our bodies are filled with nano machinery so it, it's really amazing. It, 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 you know, people who say that nanotechnology is impossible, well, you wouldn't exist if you were if we're made of nanomachines that are functioning and doing what nanomachines do. Fair point. They're just nature's version. What, uh, what are you most excited about today outside of cryonics? I, I have to say uh, I, I love uh, – and get back to nanotechnology, but also uh, I love artificial intelligence because I think uh, once you can d develop machines that can think – faster and uh, better than humans wow the sky's the limit right because then the exponential nature of that means uh we're going to be living in a whole different world you know we can't even fathom the the wonders of technology that we're going to have if that happens absolutely and we seem to be on the we seem to be on the cusp of that as well i think that's one of the challenges with exponential technologies is you always feel like you're on the cusp especially the closer that you are to the technology but then it's also it's always always takes longer and also goes faster than people expect so it's it's uh it's really challenging to predict but that's part of the fun of getting interesting people like you on the program Kind of like, kind of like space travel, right? I mean, we landed on the moon, and and then all of a sudden, what happened? We we haven't been back there in all this time. But there's time coming when it's going to become more routine. It, you know, it, it, you look at the greater scale of exponentials. It seems almost as if everything has just happened in the last hundred years, right? I mean, 
for thousands of years, we rode horses, right? Or we uh, didn't have refrigeration. Uh, we didn't really have electricity for thousands of years. And also in the last 100, 200 years, everything seems to have been invented. That's the exp exponential nature of the industrial revolution and now the, the technology and information revolution. Yeah, it's fascinating. Previously, history was war and it spanned for very long times with very little happening. And now now it's very much technology and change happening at such a rapid pace that people people aren't able to keep up. I Right. So you mentioned sci-fi. You mentioned being a bit of a geek. What's a what's your favorite sci-fi book? What really got you into the uh, the world of the future? Well, I, uh, well, I, I've read a lot of stuff from Richard uh, Fenman, a physicist. I definitely, like I said, uh, Engines of Creation by Eric Drexler, nanotechnology. When I was younger, I, I read. Uh, I, I was an avid uh, subscriber to uh, Omni Magazine. I don't know if you recall Omni Magazine. That kind of took uh, some very deep and technical scientific things and brought it down to the layman, you know, so I could read this when I was in high school. And that, that was one of my favorite magazines to read. Uh, and that branched me off into reading a lot of other stuff about uh, AI. I, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of movies like uh, uh, 2001 and Space Odyssey, uh, The Hail, the uh, 9000 computer. We, we almost have that now to a degree. We're getting on that level with uh, the Google supercomputers and so forth. It's pretty amazing stuff. And who knows where it's going to take us. And that's why I kind of want to be part of the future. And, and I look at it like I got nothing to lose. Nothing to lose uh, when I get older. I'm either going to be buried, cremated, or frozen. And uh, for the expense, it's not, not that much money uh, for my family. And that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Great power, great responsibility. We're jumping into a really interesting era. I want a challenge for the listeners now and ask her a challenge, something that you think people should look into, do, etc. A challenge that people should look into? I think people need to put down their Facebooks and, and a little bit of their entertainment, uh, you know, watching television or and actually try to uh, read a little bit about what's happening in uh, science news, business news, and, and really see what's happening in the world because things are changing quick. And if you don't keep your eye on the ball, you're going to miss out on a lot of really fascinating, neat, neat things that are coming our way. And, uh, you know, in, instead of absorbing ourselves in the fictional world, there, it's, it, the reality is actually stranger than fiction. I mean, it's, it's really um, fascinating things that are happening right now. And this is a fascinating age to live in, and it's only going to speed up and get even more fascinating. I completely agree with that. We're the, the era of one-and-done education is completely over. If you're listening to Fringe FM, you probably get that. We're going to get the world's smartest, best, and most interesting individuals on so that we can talk about the, the converging and exponential technologies tomorrow. Thanks for coming on today, Dennis. Is uh, where's the best place? Thank for you people very much. To find you. Sorry, where's the best place for people to find you? Uh, yeah, uh, we're on all the social media, but uh, the, one of the best places is just to go to www.cryonics.org, O-R-G, not com, but O-R-G, and uh, it's cryonics plural. And uh, all the information that you've ever wanted to know about cryonics is there. We've got YouTube videos. We've got we lay out our technical arguments about why uh, what we're doing is uh, feasible. We've got peer-reviewed scientific papers that support what we're doing, 62 PhD signatories that signed on that say that what we're doing is not uh, cargo cult science, but uh, just cutting edge. And uh, so there's plenty of information on our website uh, at cranics.org. And don't try this at home, people. Freezing yourself is not a great idea. We'll uh, we'll throw <laughs> links and everything in the show notes. I'm still not 100% sure how I feel about cryonics, other than it is a very fascinating and potentially transformative field. That's a uh, that's what I think I would I would leave people with is not to write off things that could be the future just because they seem a little bit strange in the present. Thank you, Matt. Listener, before you go, if you like Fringe FM, consider making a tax deductible donation to support our mission. Yes, you heard that right. 
tax deductible. Fringe FM is fiscally sponsored by a registered 501c3 nonprofit focused on advancing science worldwide. This means you can write off your donation for tax purposes and possibly even get your employer to match the donation, all of which would dramatically boost the level of good we can do in the world and the quality of the show that we can produce. To learn more about supporting Fringe FM and whether your gift would qualify to reduce your taxes, please visit fringe.fm give. If you care about our mission, please support our efforts. You are literally deciding whether or not we can continue and how much of an impact we can make. Again, that's fringe.fm give to learn more and support our cause. Thank you. If you want more of Fringe FM, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or go to fringe.fm, where you'll find tons of audio and video interviews with leaders in the fields of genetics, cryptocurrency, longevity, AI, space, VR, and much, much more. And you can follow me on Twitter at It's Matt Ward. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a quick review in iTunes to help more people discover Fringe FM.